0: This content is suitable for curious and objective listeners and viewers only. User discretion is advised.
1: You know, they say if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going. This dude just offered me a job. I didn't even talk to him on the phone. He's the head coach at a Power 5 institution. (laughs) Coach Collins talks about it all the time. He's our head coach. He says how you do anything is how you do everything. Like, If I can't trust you off the field, like, how can I trust you on the field?
0: Once again, welcome back to the credentials. We have a special, illustrious guest in the building, Mr. Mr. 404, Mr. <laughs> himself. We have oh, Christian Garcia in the building, right? Christian Garcia is a Miami legend. He is a Berlin Jesuit legend. He is a Malone University legend. <laughs> <laughs> he is a Florida Tech legend. A Santa Fe legend. <laughs> A University of Florida legend. There's more, a UNLV legend. And <laughs> now presently, he is an assistant linebacker's coach at the University of Georgia Tech, Uh, Buzz Buzz. I don't know why I put the fours up, but Buzz Buzz, for the
1: culture. Yeah, yeah for the culture, yeah. That's yeah you can say cool. for the culture, for the 404, yeah, 22 <laughs> ATL, whatever you want to say, win 21. Yeah, we got a lot of them. them. Yeah,
0: so once again, Thank you so much, bro, for being a part of this episode. And uh, thank you for sharing some time. I love the background, it's super dope. And real quick to start you off, we'll give you, I do my quick hitters early. So what is one thing, one habit, one skill you've learned since the pandemic has began that you didn't even think about?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so first of all, man, I just wanna say thank you for having me, man. It's an an honor to be here. So uh, I don't know about legend, Maybe uh, Santa Fe Slap, Malone yeah, You're, slap.
0: Legend. you're Malone a legend, you're a legend. Look, 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 look. When you get to do what you love, you know what I'm saying? When you feel like work isn't really work, you're a legend. Cause you yeah. figured out the cheat code. You figured out you gotta do what you love. No That's doubt. what And figure out a way to get paid for it. Figure out mm-hmm. a way to take care of yourself for it. You're a legend, exactly. you figure that out. So mm-hmm. in my opinion,
1: you're a legend. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Yeah. yeah. We're just touching on your question. I guess the the biggest skill I've learned during this pandemic is like to invest in yourself. Like there are so many resources out there where you can personally grow, whether it's a book or it's a podcast or it's networking, like through social media and all the like resources we got, the world's become flat. Like I could go meet with somebody in China about mechanical engineering and I just made myself better if that's what I want to do. So like really just taking advantage of those resources and that's really what the pandemic has taught because you haven't been able to make face-to-face interaction. That's a fact, mm-hmm. invest in yourself. This We are so blessed to have
0: everything that we have with the technology, with the, the easy access, with the wide variety that like you said, it's, it's on you to either take action or take interest in finding the right thing for you. So thank exactly. you for sharing that
1: and then Whether your passions to bake cakes or to coach football man it's, it's out there just just google it <laughs> and you can get a bag off of it regardless exactly you can get a no bag job. off
0: of it regardless no of cake bosses making do. money exactly <laughs> exactly you can get Go a down, bag of it regardless and you're fresh off of a spring game with georgia tech so yep. can you talk about the atmosphere the environment and then at the spring game, what is your role and your involvement mm-hmm. of, of that process?
1: So the atmosphere was great, man. Like it was, it was great to kind of like almost feel like we're out of the pandemic. We had about 50% capacity at a spring game, which is pretty good. And then, uh, I mean, it's really for the fans. It was on ACC network. We're trying to make it out there with no injuries. So it was good for the fans and it was also good to evaluate. So a lot of the young guys got to play linebackers, we got a couple early enrollees that got to play, so it was good to see them. And then as far as my role for the spring game, it was more substitutions and helping the linebackers make adjustments and corrections on the sideline. But on a real game day, I'll actually be in the box. So uh, in the box, I'm charting down all the formations that the opposing offenses ran. And with that, I'm kind of giving the coordinator his information, like, hey, when they're in this formation, they're running this play, so he can kind of adjust how he's calling the game. On first and 10, they ran the ball every time. So, hey, you know it's coming next time it's first and 10. So, kind of that's kind of my role on game day. And any mistakes I see from the box, I got to bring down the corrections to position coaches. So, for your
0: role, which is pretty cool, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is it you're in the box for strategy and, like, just for functionality or just you prefer the box?
1: So, it's more for strategy and functionality. So, really, the way that the staff is structured is, there's a linebacker coach and there's a GA or a QC or an analyst so each position kind of has two coaches so you kind of need one in the box you need one on the field the one on the field makes the adjustments and the one in the box has the birds eye view so they can see what's going on you can actually see what happened so really the people in the box is more for strategy it's and functionality at the same time
0: ah the more you know the more yep you know.
1: exactly <laughs> so how
0: how did COVID because last year you were you know a coach during COVID, how did that affect your role and like your staff's role and how you did things in terms of mm-hmm. in-game
1: strategy? Absolutely. So uh, as a GA you get all the glorious tasks in the building, <laughs> whether that's refilling the coffee or, or getting somebody a, a new notebook and some pencils, but I mean, definitely just added to the task. It almost felt like only like 10% of your job was football, whether you were in the locker room, making sure the kids got their masks on, making sure you're socially distant in a meeting room. I mean, it was just, it was protocol central. So at the end of the day, we're really grateful we got to play the season, but as a, as a GA or an entry-level position, it was definitely harder on us. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Coach Collins from the top down, he did, he did a great job of emphasizing what needed to be done. I think we were one of the fewest teams probably in the power five in terms of COVID cases positive. So, I mean, it was a, it was a full team effort and and coach Collins did a great job.
0: And you're in Atlanta, which is. Yeah. they don't believe in COVID. No doubt. (laughs) So that is definitely, definitely pretty impressive. So Mm -hmm. now that we have an update on current life, let's go back, rewind the tape if you Mm -hmm. want to say, and so growing up, who would you say was your role models? What would you say it's your parents? And, and as far as like football, did you have yeah. players that were your role models and people
1: that you looked up to? Definitely. So I kind of had an unusual upbringing. So uh, it was kind of a single parent household, not a non-traditional household. So my dad wasn't around a lot of the time and my mom was, was absent with certain things. So I wouldn't say my role model was in the household. I had really strong grandparents. So uh, my grandfather, that's my guy. He took me to my first sporting event. He, he first introduced me to the love of sports. And then from then on, it was kind of like a coach here, a player here. I'd watch an E60, and I, I see this dude doing this thing. He came from this place, and it was like, man, I want to be like that guy. Or just my coach invested in me. I had coaches that I didn't have a ride to practice, and they'd take me to and from practice every day. You know what I mean? It's a 20-minute ride. So definitely just the people who invested with, in me whether it's my high school coach. I mean, Coach Stewart, who was my head coach, he was a big influence on me. And he was a big encourager because like as a young kid, you don't naturally have confidence. And when you encourage somebody and say, hey, you can do this, it builds confidence because you're impressionable. So definitely at a young age, even the youth high, uh, even the youth football coaches have such a big impact on the kids because you got to encourage them and you give them the opportunity to tell them a the chance like, hey, you really can do this. You want to play college football? You want to play in the league? Like, you can do that if you put your mind to it. So I had a ton of coaches. I mean, even at the college level, I got to uh, play for Randy Shannon, who's obviously a legend. He was the head coach at Miami. and He was my linebacker coach. I was starstruck the, the first day I walked into the meeting room and like, man, this is my coach. This is Randy Shannon. So uh, yeah, growing up, I was a Canes fan. Didn't play for the Canes. Don't root for him no more. But yeah, definitely just, just coaches. Those are the people who really impacted me, along with my grandparents and my grandfather specifically. I was, like, I was a solid player growing up. I was never the star player on the team. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, even when, like, high school, middle school, the coaches would tell me, hey, you'd be a better coach than you are a player. And it's, like, I got exposure to that avenue, like, earlier. Like, obviously, I still wanted to play in the league. I still wanted to do big things. But, like, in the back of my mind, regardless of how I played, I'm, like, I still want to coach. Like, this ain't going to end for me. So, like, while I was playing, I was still learning – other things other than playing so it was I mean it was just beneficial to have that exposure early on
0: you're also telling a story of that's real where it's like some that's really hard for just a mom to do you know what I'm absolutely saying? you know what I'm saying sometimes mm-hmm. like that happens where your mom can't handle the pressure of exactly the real life because as we know now like you have no kids right no no kids Hey, I have no kids <laughs> we understand we yeah. understand like the seriousness it is to take care yeah. of yourself and to try to provide for yourself and also as a minority you're trying to fight yeah. uphill battles for opportunities so Absolutely. you know what I'm saying so what what kept your head on straight of like because in that situation where it's like you have your grandparents there but they're out of touch of yeah life, how things are are moving and shaking. So, like, what kept you grounded and level-headed to, like, go on a path
1: Mm -hmm. of productivity? It's almost funny, man. Like, I guess some people can pinpoint a why, but I, I don't have, like, this specific why. Like, I think I really just, I love football. And then something drove me, like, hey, if you don't get passing grade, you can't play football. If you go do this stupid thing, you can't play football. So I feel like like, obviously, I've gotten to this point where I have my own morals, my own values that I stand on and I believe in. But like, growing up, like, if you have something like, hold on to it, like, if that's going to keep you out of trouble, or that's, that's where you want to be in life, like, you see that helps somebody else be successful, like, hold on to that. Because I mean, really, that's all you've got. Like, if you're going to fall into the other things, then you're really just not living a life of purpose at that point. So I guess it was really just holding on to the game. And like, just knowing if I do these bad things, I can't play the game. And then, Coaches tell you these cool little speeches all the time and they they instill good morals in you and eventually you hear it a thousand times and it, it becomes who you are. So definitely that was, those are the big factors.
0: Shout out to your good coaches, bro. Real talk. No doubt. Shout out
1: to
0: good <laughs> coaches because even having that, bro, that's not, that's not really common. You know what I'm saying? No doubt.
1: That's not really common. Yeah, you, you go to the playground in freaking Liberty City and they're betting on Little League games. So they, yeah. they and, there ain't
0: and, all good coaches everywhere and and but there's good coaches everywhere but most coaches do it by reverse psychology you know at least when we're yeah. growing up I always feel like most of the time it's like yo you can't you can't do this like you're whack like mm-hmm. you know and like y'all terrible like what mm-hmm. are you doing and then yeah. to motivate you to to do better you know absolutely like most coaches do which I think nowadays is kind of being disproven when you look at Real successful people, it's like mm-hmm. a younger age they're always told like it's possible you can do it. Yeah, it's, there's, you just gotta keep figuring it out. Like it's mm-hmm. not end all be all. There's always an, a different opportunity to yeah, no doubt have success. You know, mm-hmm. so I think more and more people are realizing like that's really the key to making more successful people more yeah. people. You have to encourage them and just let them know like there yeah. there's such thing as challenges. There's a mm-hmm. lot of talented people, you know? Like Absolutely. Michael Wooden didn't win every year. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's years he didn't even make it to the finals. People exactly, like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the Pistons were there, Shaq beat him, you know? Yeah. He was Jordan, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like, there's other talent out there. It's not, you just have to keep creating, like we said, keep, yeah. keep adapting and keep mm-hmm. finding a, a different way to, to succeed. So, when you went to Belen Jesuit, right? Belen yep. Jesuit is a, uh, a private school. Did you go mm-hmm. on a scholarship or like, did you were able to play away at yeah. that school?
1: So it's kind of a funny story. So my grandparents immigrated from Cuba mm-hmm. and the president of the school. So Belen Jesuit was actually a school in Cuba and they moved it to Miami. Oh. So my grandmother went to high school with the president of the school. Wow! So I went to public school my whole life and like eighth grade comes around And she meets this dude somewhere and she's like, yeah, I have grandkids. They're in public school. And she's like, yeah, we can't pay. Cause he asked, Hey, why don't you come to our school? And he was like, they got full scholarships if they can pass the entrance exam. So my grandma's connection from high school in Cuba got me and my younger brother full scholarships to a, to a private school in Miami. So, I mean, that's, that's just divine intervention. Like that was just, that was also an unbelievable influence. You know what I mean? And then not growing up around money and then seeing these people, it was like, man, I kind of want this life for myself. So no doubt, there was a bunch of good influences around there, so it worked out perfect. Wow, that is
0: a big blessing. No man. doubt. And like we were talking earlier, like exposure is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're exposed to it and like, what's, when it's in like arms arms distance, or it may be you're not in arms distance, but it's like, yo, I was just next to this person and he mm-hmm. or she was just next to that person. Yeah. I can get next to that person. You know, so like mm-hmm. that that is true, and like I always say it's it's for me, those situations it's like hindsight being what it is it's it's confirmation, not coincidence, you know what yeah. I'm as as far as like you said, you were so driven in your purpose and mm-hmm. so probably gun ho of like yo i'm I'm trying to do
1: the football thing.
0: Yeah. That,
1: Absolutely. I had no business to either, man. I'm a a six foot one Cuban kid from from Miami and I'm over here thinking I'm gonna be in the the league. But you know what, if you you shoot for the league, you might end up a walk on at the University of Florida. So
0: yeah, it worked
1: out. Yeah, so so now high school, right? Let's talk about from high
0: school to how you get to Florida. So first stop is Malone University. How'd you end up there? And then (laughs) after one semester, let's talk about why you left. What What was your game plan?
1: Yeah, so coming out of high school, I was a good player, not great. So uh, I was actually getting recruited by some D1 schools. Uh, Bowling Green offered me a Division One scholarship. Villanova was close and there were a couple of FCS programs. At the End of the day, it all fell through. They probably saw me in person and said, hell no. And then, uh, so my coach was sending out my highlights to every, uh, every school he could think of. So Malone University, D2 school in Ohio, he sends it over. He gets a call the next day. they're like hey we're offering you a scholarship this is like two weeks before signing day I have nothing so I'm like I take a visit can't say I loved Canton Ohio but you know what I mean it was a full scholarship so I wasn't going to say no so yeah I ended up at Malone a small Christian school in the state of Ohio which actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because it exposed me to some things that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to so it wasn't all bad but uh I just I just did a job with the city and, and the vibe and all that so I had to get closer to home. So I transferred after a semester. I had a good first season. I played a lot. I had probably like 50 tackles, something like that. Like I was enjoying playing football. Nothing took away the love of the game, but I don't know if Canton, Ohio, for an 18 year old kid from South Florida, was a great idea. <laughs> Culture shock. <laughs> no doubt, bro. What was I don't like? I think they'd seen a Cuban
0: person before. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, give me like one or two things that like, what was like the final straw? of, Like, cause you left after a semester. Like, what was yeah, like one the semester? Final That's straw? Pretty quick. Like, you didn't even like. Let me get it a year. Let me figure it out. Let me get. You're like, nah. I'm not gonna uh-huh. get the chance to hit spring. Nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah. No. Yeah. Like, what was like the the final straw? Of, like, what was the deciding factors? Yeah,
1: like, might have been when the snow hit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll never forget. I had an economics class at seven thirty a.m. And I, I'm walking out the dorm and I, I have no clue what black ice is. I'm just walking out and like flip-flops like it's Florida. It's like 20 degrees. And I stepped and I lost my footing and I fell right onto my back. And it's like 20 degrees at 7.30 a.m. I'm like, man, I don't know if this is for me. And then, I mean, I'm acting like a tough guy, but I had a, a longtime girlfriend too who was, who was still in Florida. So that also factored into the decision. Well, it wasn't the best idea at the time, but it definitely worked out. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, what do they say? The crazy things you do for love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, I would love also, too, if you, how much of you can dive into it? Like, um I mean, how, what, what value, moral, moral, what morals and values did you gain from that university that you think you mm-hmm. wouldn't
1: have been exposed to that you mentioned it a little bit earlier? Absolutely. So, I went to uh, Belen Jesuit, like we spoke about. It's a Catholic school. And I grew up Catholic. I mean, my family is Catholic, but I mean, we weren't practicing. We didn't go to church every Sunday. And it's kind of like you sit in mass and the priests talk and they give out the Eucharist. And as a 16, 17 year old kid, it goes in one ear, out the other half the time. You're just trying to stay awake. So then I get to Malone too. And it's like a whole different experience. It's a Christian school. Like they're singing in church. Like, it's like, it's like a good time. Like they're like, there's FCA, like the stuff's starting to make sense. So like, I felt like I was exposed to like Christianity in a way that I had not before. And it was like, I was more like a sponge at the time versus just hardened to it. So, I mean, definitely just my exposure to faith at that time, that was something that I I wouldn't take back. And just the experience, like I met some great people. And I mean, like we said, relationships are everything. And football and in life, like you can't take those things back. So, I mean, there's dudes from Malone that I talked to to this day and I knew them for four or five months. And no knocks to Catholicism, but it's like, it seems sometimes it's more about the tradition and, and the practices than it is about practicing the religion, if that makes sense. The message.
0: It, yeah. It, it, it's more about the aesthetics than the message. Exactly. Which, which yeah. I feel like is religion is just basically a way for you to feel comfortable to for the message. So, you mm-hmm. can, you know, create a relationship with a bigger energy. Yeah, absolutely. A bigger energy to do what you want to do. So. I always, I always feel like it's weird, you know, not to really get off random, but mm-hmm. I just feel that like it's weird that people battle when religions against religions battle each other when it's like, yeah, the main message is just to be a good person, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, no so you you're telling them the way they're saying that. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have common sense, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And that's like the big disconnect with society. I know I'm going on a tangent, but it's yeah. like people get so caught up in and practicing the religion versus being a good person and actually living out the values which are being preached that it gets it's a disconnect from the world and it's a sad thing because I am a practicing Christian so mm-hmm. yeah it hits home
0: and for me like I grew up uh non-denominational
1: mm-hmm. but
0: for me I feel like I don't really practice religion I kind of just yes. practice more spiritual you know I'm more mm-hmm. just like just karma kind of like yeah if I'm a good person and I do a yeah do as many good things as possible i'm gonna keep reaping what i sow I'm absolutely be, and then in terms of spirituality it's kind of like mm-hmm. i just i follow certain things on on, on social media of like mm-hmm. either people doing good or just motivation and like yeah spiritual things that just resonate regardless of whatever you practice so um, no doubt
1: and it's it's kind of funny because i mean it's human nature to think like that too it's like All the people that have invested in me, it's like, man, I feel like I have a duty to to invest in someone else. Like, I can't wait till I'm in like a hiring position or coordinating position where like, man, I could lift other people up. And it's like, just give back that karma and that good energy, because I mean, nobody gets to where they are by themselves. Like I could have as much pride as I want, but I didn't get here without the help of somebody and somebody saying yes. So definitely having that.
0: I agree with you. I think that's one of the biggest myths when the people say self-made, it's like, yeah, no doubt. No one's really self-made, bro. Mm-hmm. Like even if you do even if you do everything by yourself, you're not the one buying your product over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <the> <laughs> that's a funny way to put it, but yeah, no over doubt. Over
0: and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you said, no one's really self-made. And and to me, what I think to go back to society, I think the larger of us, the larger portion of society doesn't realize capitalism means that you're turning and you're flipping resources and knowledge so that mm-hmm. the prices go down because everyone's so skilled and it's everyone yeah. so self-sufficient that mm-hmm. prices go down because everyone's so skilled that's yeah. true capitalistic society you know mm-hmm. everyone a, you don't, that doesn't mean everyone's doing everything, but everyone has a certain role that they can contribute to in certain um, basic understanding of skills, you know, like how to garden, how to do your taxes, yeah. how mm-hmm. to how to invest in stocks. Like, that's capitalism. When you have, I know how to, I know how to invest, I know how to plant food, I know how to yeah. wash my clothes, <laughs> <laughs> <No> <laughs> doubt. you know what I'm saying? And I know how to balance my budget, like, that's capitalism. Yeah you know because Mm -hmm. then now you can create different opportunities different avenues and like you said help teach the next person
1: because yeah exactly and it's funny like with culture today because like i mean i I love rap music i listen to i mean the hottest rapper you name it i listen to it it's like every song is like yeah i did it on my own like you know what i mean it's all talking about being self-made and and getting it which is like you got to have that drive and that passion but at the same time like you got to know like you didn't get here on your own like somebody listens to your music like yeah. somebody gave you a record deal like
0: <laughs> yeah someone's engineering mixing ma- like russ is the only guy who can kind of say self-made because yeah he made his beats he mixed mm-hmm. them he mastered them he put them on tune core like he's yeah. kind of close but like i said going back to my basic point he's not the one buying his album over and over and over again mm-hmm. he's not the one buying every ticket to every venue that he performs at. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like at the end of the day, like we said, like it, it's teamwork really does make the dream work.
1: Yeah, know? absolutely.
0: Teamwork really, so now going back to teamwork and, and making the dream work. So you left Malone University. Yep. And what's your plan? What's your thought process? Are you thinking UF and walk on? Or are you just thinking I
1: at this point I'm like, I just need to get out of here like <laughs> I, didn't, I really didn't care. I, I hit up every every school you could think of in the southeast region trying to get a scholarship. So I played a lot, I had a highlight tape all that, but really the only school that that gave me a shot again was Florida Tech, another D2 school. So I'm headed back to Florida. It's in Melbourne about two and a half hours north of Miami, two and a half hours south of Gainesville. And I, I mean it was it was a great opportunity on paper. They didn't give me a full scholarship though, so I mean I guess, really I was betting on myself again because I had a full scholarship. So I came back to a situation where I was going to have to take out student loans. And we know with, with my upbringing, I had nobody to pay for that. So really I came into the situation, like I'm going to come in during spring ball I'm going to earn a job and they're going to put me on a full scholarship. So that was my, that was my mindset and I'm going to get closer to home. I'm going to see the sun 360 days a year. So that was really my mindset in transferring and then getting into Florida tech and, uh, Again, it didn't it didn't work out for the best, but again, I wouldn't take back the experiences I had there.
0: Okay, so at Florida Tech, you're you're playing ball, mm-hmm. and then you leave to Santa Fe, and yep. you take uh, Well, how why'd you why'd you decide to leave Florida Tech for Santa? Okay, Fe?
1: I'll, I'll I'll go into the to the story. This is actually yeah. this will take a couple minutes, but it's it's worth the worth good, the while. Good. We got time, baby. I got time. Yeah. Got time. This is where it goes. So uh I go through spring ball. Uh, I mean, I I'm I'm playing football. I'm doing what I love. I'm I'm loving the whole process and I'm working out, trying to, I mean, trying to be be the best that I can be. I'm like second or third on the depth chart. So we go into fall camp, same situation, and I'm playing good. Am I beating out the other dudes by a lot? Probably not, but I, I think I'm at that level where I should be running with the ones or, or doing this or doing that. And maybe that's entitlement or maybe I was, I don't really know at the time, but you know what I mean? I, I was just believing in myself at that point. So we go through all of fall camp. We go through the first week of school. I had a lease for an apartment. I was set for the year. And me and my buddy, Cesar Castillo, he was a, he was a linebacker as well. We're like, you know what, man, let's screw this. Let's go. let's go to University of Florida. So we <laughs> dropped out of school. We literally dropped out of school without even enrolling in another school. The Friday, which was the last day to withdraw from school, we (laughs) sell all of the furniture in our apartment to pay for our, for, for us to be able to move to Gainesville. So like I had been gifted a bunch of furniture because we had moved to Florida Tech and I sold it all. So the next morning we drive to uh, Gainesville, we sign a lease with the money from the furniture (laughs) and then uh, we enroll in Santa Fe because they start for the, they start next week. So it was really like a spur of the moment decision. We were just like, "Man, we don't really want to be here anymore. Let's do something else." <laughs> so literally didn't didn't tell anybody in the world. I was just like, I literally just withdrew from school, like and I we bet on ourselves that like, "Hey, we're going to walk on somewhere and like we're going to do better for ourselves cuz we think we can." And it was it was funny. It was almost like a little bit like fairy tale imagination, but yeah, yeah you kind of got to <laughs> have that. And then and then how did you land
0: the opportunity to be on US video staff?
1: So uh, one of my high school teammates was already a student assistant with the video with the video coordinator. So when I got there, he happened to be in my girlfriend's apartment and we were eating dinner. I forgot what we were watching and he was like, "Hey man, you want to come volunteer?" I was like, "Man, I want to walk on. I got to go do this. I got I got to get around these people." So literally again Another divine intervention, like somebody just places this right in my life, and I'm working with the video squad. I'm filming practice. I'm eating dinner with the team. Like it's like, wow! <laughs> so it's, it was funny how that came full circle. Like it was literally the week before the week, the first week of school that it happened. So
0: you're at Santa Fe going to school, and then your mm-hmm. uh, video
1: assistant volunteer or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I don't and know if there's a title.
0: Yeah. So you're basically just filming them practice and then and then breaking it down or just just filming?
1: So I just filmed them and then uh the uh actual like the, the paid people would uh trim the film and have it ready for the coaches to watch. So I just be out at practice but you know what I mean they gave me a, a few t-shirts a pair of shoes and a hat and I, I felt like I was a part of the team but I was just filming them. And they gave you free meals. So exactly. Had, in college, one day free meals, baby. <laughs> in college?
0: That's a big deal. That. Yeah, exactly. that's a big deal. So like, OK, you knew you're going to walk on, right? So mm-hmm. like how, what was like your line between how how would you plan it between getting buddy buddy, but like staying in your lane?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I was definitely staying in my lane for the most part. Uh, Like after practice, though, me and my boy Cesar, the one that transferred with me we we've literally run stadiums every day. And like there was like the little circular, little uphill thing in the stadium. And we'd get our uh, rubber bands, our resistance bands, and just run resistance sprints. And like people would see us doing it. And they're like, man, these dudes are grinding. So I talked to the DFO and I'm like, I'm trying to walk on when I get in. And he was like, hey, come see me first day of school once you get into school. So it was kind of like he just saw us working, he saw us volunteering. and. He kind of gave us that encouragement again somebody gave you some positive affirmation and we ran with it we were we were like eight months away from being accepted in the school and we were doing pool sprints <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: Hey, yeah. But
0: I, I appreciate you sharing because that that shows like how how serious and how intense you really have to be to really work and be a part of the best with the yeah. best you know like it's almost you got to be a little delusional
1: like i There's like one of my favorite, like Will Smith interviews. And he's like, a lot of successful people are delusional. Like they think so highly and they have these dreams and like, but if you don't think delusional, like how are you even going to get, I mean, not that you can't get anywhere without being delusional, but there's a lot of stuff up there that you'll fall on if you don't get to that delusional spot. So that's kind of my advice.
0: And because a lot of times the people around you, just because the fact that they haven't done it or they haven't seen no one do it they're mm-hmm. gonna actually tell you you can't do it you absolutely know? no matter how a lot of times that happens no matter how much talent you know what i'm saying Absolutely. if those people haven't done it or can't experience it that happens in your everyday life people yeah no things doubt every single day because it's like I, they have i haven't done it i haven't seen no one mm-hmm. else do it yeah let's hear bad stories supposedly so now nah, uh-huh. you can do it you can't do it
1: <laughs> and, yeah
0: and, and they don't even know no they don't even know the dedication the passion the work exactly the knowledge the intent you know that mm-hmm. you bring to the table it's just the fact that a lot of times when people people project their insecure people will pre, like how they say you let someone talk and they'll just tell you who they are because yeah well if you understand communication people will tell you the insecurities people mm-hmm. will tell you their fears their yeah. worry points w- without you having to say it directly to them you just phrase it a certain way and people will tell you like, mm-hmm. Hey, do you think I can do this? And if they haven't done it, they'll probably say, nah, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> no doubt. That's, I mean, that's, that's life. Like that's why I'm just being real and vulnerable on this podcast. Like the night that we transferred, our teammates came to our apartment. They're like, you know, you're never going to play football again. Right. Like I said, football's done for you. And I just looked at them Like, I really didn't even say anything. I'm just like, you can think this, but like, I have this vision for myself in my mind. Like, When I was in high school, I told myself I was going to play D1 football. And like, I still have that in my mind and I'm going to go do it regardless of what you say. So just being like, if you're man enough to talk about your insecurities and your vulnerabilities, I feel like it gives people encouragement. Like, man, I can really do this. Like this dude's going through something. They just see the IG pics. Like that's just a highlight reel. Like, yeah, I posted a picture in uniform, but there was a lot of dark moments to get to that point.
0: Exactly. I'll never forget when, I went and like, just went to Roc Nation one time because I wanted to be an agent. I was just like, yeah. yeah. I just pulled up, dressed up, suited and booted and like, <laughs> I had to walk in. Yeah. <laughs> and then I so just you gotta got to do story. Yeah. I flew there, but I gave him a story like, yeah, you know, I just drove 22 hours just to be here. My professor mm-hmm. told me, <laughs> my professor <laughs> told me a story. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? It's one opportunity. And like, I got really, really close. And mm-hmm. then she was like, ah, uh, I just don't know you, blah, 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 blah. But um, I'm like, yo. she wouldn't have even
1: got close if you never did. pulled up
0: to the door. Exactly, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, I, I, and then what ended up happening is I ended up getting into a sports agency. And this was like junior year, uh, yeah. Uh, right? When you need to figure out an internship for- Yeah, like, I know for, what you're for, talking about. For credit, because for credit uh, mm-hmm. give you all perspective. Me and Chris know each other from UF Sports Management Program, and I, and prior to this, I didn't even know the Malone and the Santa Fe. and the <laughs> <things I've been. laughs> First day y'all dropping out, so
1: yeah. We, Did you know, just Google all that? <laughs>
0: yeah, you know that might have been a bio. I, I, you know, I like to do I like to do my research. You yeah, know, no doubt. There might have been research out there for me to look up. You know. Yeah, you know it's, it's I mean? in the bio. Yeah, the link in the bio. <laughs> um. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like you said, when you really believe and you really want to do something, like Mm -hmm. you got to be, you got to do shit that no one's ever done. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's, that's originality. It's like doing you the 100%, going all in on you. That's really Mm -hmm. originality because, everyone's doing everything that has already been done. Like someone tried to walk on before someone's already tried to, you know, be an agent before someone's already made podcasts before someone's made a show. Someone's did this. Someone's did that. It's about how you're going to do it and lean into how you want to do it. Cause the vision you see for yourself, no one's ever seen before, you know, the style and the way you want to do it. No one's ever done it before. So it's up to you just going hundred percent yourself and, that's how you rock it. And that's how you go from no one's ever went from Malone University <laughs> starting at University of uh, Yeah, Georgia. You know, no one's done it. No, no one's see seen that vision. I don't know if it'll ever
1: be done again. <laughs> yeah,
0: no one's seen that vision. No one's seen yeah. like, yo, I'm about to go to D2, so I can go to the D one. You know, like exactly. I'm about to go to cannes so I can go to Gainesville. Like, no one's no one's seen that. And you yeah. saw it, and you got to you stay true to to yeah, that's me. And mm. Look where we're at. Now we're talking yeah. about it, we're reminiscing it, you know? You, you yeah. have that as an anchor point of like, yo, you doubted me? You remember what I did?
1: I can't <laughs> exactly. doubt myself, look what I did. You know? exactly. And I mean, now it's just, now I got belief on past experience. Like I've done these things, like what can I do at this point? And it's like, at the same time, I'm saying like, I can, I know it wouldn't have happened without other people in my life. So like, I would be remiss to not thank everybody who helped me get to that point. So, I mean, I think where people get lost and the disconnect is like they don't find something worth fighting for. Like if you don't have a passion, like that you feel worth fighting for, then, I mean, you're really not chasing anything. You're not living with purpose. So I think the hardest part for most people is finding what they're passionate about. And I found it at an early age, luckily, and kept me, kept my head on straight. And I've been living delusionally ever since.
0: (laughs) And that's real though. That's real though. You know, it's, it's, that's one of those things where it's really hard, hard to um, get a grip on. Like,
1: yeah.
0: How, what, what am I passionate about? That's a, that's a thing that a lot of mm-hmm. most, I think almost everyone really struggles with. You know? Exactly. No doubt. So I always say, like you said, going back to what we said, adaptability, just keep trying things. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and one of the goals of the credentials is just sharing different things you can try. I, that's yeah. what I love doing. So every time I get to learn and get to share someone's journey I also get a you know spread a different way of approaching this thing called life in America absolutely you know because what what's crazy is let me tell you what's something crazy where I thought about too right it's the reason why we can't find a passion in, in terms of like a work or careers because it's not human it's not human nature you know mm-hmm. human nature is just to eat reproduce survive yeah. You know, if you really think about it, like, yeah, at least of humans weren't, hey, I'm going to be lawyers and doctors and you know what I'm saying? They were just, I need to find food and yeah. I need to eat it. And I need to lay down somewhere where I don't get killed in my sleep.
1: Biologically, that's that's human nature. right? You know, there. That's
0: human nature. Like, that's, was... that's our passion. Like our passion yeah. is, is surviving and eating and reproducing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, keeping our population alive. You know, so it's like the, hu- the the American lifestyle is kind of not, it's not human nature. So that's mm-hmm. why you got to try different things. Absolutely. You, know, you really want to think about it. You really break mm-hmm. it down. It's like, yeah, you're right. Like building houses and cars, yeah. that's, not, that's not human. That wasn't, that's just something because we're so mm-hmm. creative and we're so resourceful. You know, we're, we have so much ability to make our life easier, yes. you know, that we just created all this stuff. You know? Absolutely, they're really just
1: societal constructs. Like society made these things, and now humans are doing these things. And like, I'm grounded enough. Like we're talking about my story in this podcast, but like, there's bigger things than just football and all that. Like it's it's a big part of my life and what I do. But really, society created the rat race. Like you trying to be the best at this, or you trying to be number one in your profession, or make this amount of money, or you know what I mean. But it's really just society created it. And a lot of times it gives people a blueprint to live a better life and stay focused at the same mm-hmm.
0: time. Exactly. Just like religion, you know, mm-hmm. that's really the, the guide of religion. Like religion is not bad. It's the people who, who, who are in those positions. That's what makes yeah. it bad. And that's what warps the view of, of it, you know, of, of religion, mm-hmm. of society. It's like, none of these things are bad in nature. It's just, there's some people that are, Bad, bad natured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bad intent. You got to, you know, and that's why you have to educate yourself and educate yeah. yourself so you can understand what they will be able to decipher it and make the best choice. Because in the day, you don't know sometimes, you know, but the goal is just to make the best choices possible or be mm-hmm. aware, you know, everything happens for a reason, they say, based on the choices that you make. They never finish yep. the part. <laughs> you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, based on the choices you
1: make. Yeah, your life is a sum of your choices.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. like, when people say, like, oh, it's destined for you to go to UF. No, it, no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> it really wasn't. Based on what I'm hearing, like, it really wasn't, yeah. like, you uh-huh. weren't like, yo, I'm going to do this. It was just like, you know what? Yeah. They said be-
1: no to me a lot of times before I got there.
0: <laughs> yeah, again this <laughs> the game, the spring semester too.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> all
0: right. So, all right. Now we uh, brief intermission, right? So now we're back to to the to the chase and the pursuit of yeah. of being a Florida linebacker. So mm-hmm. first day you're at UF. Describe the walk on process for someone. Mm-hmm. And what would you have to do and and how'd you end up making the team?
1: So, like I said, the director of football operations, George Wynn, he said, hey, come to my office first day of school. So I, I did what he said. I come to his office mid afternoon and he's he walks right out when I get there. He's like, hey, just sit here on the couch. Doesn't come back for like two or three hours. So already right there, he's trying he's trying to weed me out. So two or three hours goes by. He comes back to his office. He's like, hey, come back tomorrow same exact thing happens. I sit there for two to three hours. On the third day I come back and I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say no. He's like, okay, here's all this paperwork. Uh, go fill this out by Friday. So I had to get a physical sickle cell test, like a bunch of stuff that could barely be accomplished by within the next two days. So at that point it's Wednesday. So I get it done. And he's like, Hey, okay, next Wednesday, meet me here. We're going to have a tryout. So I come back and then there was a. There ended up being a couple dudes there at the tryout, probably about 10 to 15 dudes at the tryout. They take us through some cone drills, whatever your typical, just to see if you can move and be a functional scout team player at that point. And uh, I go through the deal. I mean, I've been training up until that point. I actually worked construction uh, during the day in the summer and then trained at night. So that was another part of the hustle. I was uh, digging holes for, uh, for pools in construction in a uh, hundred degree Miami heat. So that was not fun but I needed to to make some coin because I was not on scholarship. And then, uh, so I did the tryout. They called me back in that next Friday and they were gonna tell people who made the team. And it was me and a punter. And I mean, that day was, I mean, it it was surreal. I just, I almost broke down in tears. I'll never forget. Like I was over there by Gator Dining after they had told me, I'm like, man, I made a team, I'm about to put on this jersey. Like, it was just a surreal feeling like, all those years of hard work, like all the people that told me I couldn't do it, like, and then all the people who helped me do it too, at the same time, like it was just, it was unbelievable. So at that time it was already week two of the season. So I get, get, get there, get to the facility. They give me number 49 and I'm, I'm on the scout team. I'm getting beat up by the first team offense. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I don't care. This is what I signed up for. Like, I remember being a video dude and watching the kids put on the scout team jerseys and being like, I wear that with pride. Like I, I'd give it my all on that scout team. And, uh, at that point in my mind, I was just like, I'm happy to be here. And then a couple of weeks go by. I'm like, man, these dudes are good, but I'm pretty good too. Like I I could play with these dudes. So then it starts creeping in. I'm like, man, I, I, I gotta get better. I'm going to play here. Like, regardless of what people say. So we go through the whole season. We have a great year. I think we win 10 games that year. We go to the sec championship. We end up losing Alabama and, uh, After we lose to Alabama, finals go on, and we make a bowl game. We're playing Michigan uh, January 1st in the uh, Citrus Bowl. And one of our linebackers becomes ineligible. I was like 10th string. And we had a week of practice, and I beat out all these dudes through the work that I had put in throughout the year. And I become the second-string Mike linebacker after only being on the team for like four months. So we go into the Michigan game in the Citrus Bowl, And they're telling me I'm going to play like, hey, you're going to get in the game, bro. And like there are walk-ons who have been on the team for like four years and never played. And I was like, this is surreal. So funny story. It's the second quarter. One of our linebackers gets hurt. And they go, Garcia, go in the game, go in the game, go in the game. And I couldn't find my helmet. (laughs) I could not find my helmet. So I missed my chance to go in the game. You talk about like, oh, this dude's so impressive. He's done this. He's done that. Well, I'm a slap. I didn't have my helmet on me and I didn't go in in the second quarter. But uh, I was fortunate enough later on in the game. Uh, I think we got down a lot. It was about, it was garbage time, but I got in for about 20 plays, had two tackles, and it was an unbelievable experience from there.
0: Still a dub. All right. Yeah. I almost thought you blew the bag. You almost yeah, blew the bag. Yeah, I almost blew the bag. I but, mean, it would
1: have – I don't know if I
0: would have ever lived with myself. Nah, nah. I might not be here today. Nah, you wouldn't. <laughs> nah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. What a story, bro. Like, that's crazy because that's so real. Like, scout team, that's normally never end. <laughs>
1: no, no doubt. That's and, no I doubt. mean, it was just – once that linebacker became ineligible, they're like, okay, we need to find somebody to be the backup mic. We had about three scholarship dudes. We had a couple walk-ons, and we had a week of practice. I had the best week, and it was – I mean, the defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Georgia Tech, who's my boss, he uh, he made a big deal of it, too, in the defensive meeting room. He was like, hey, we're calling somebody up on uh, off the scout team. He's going to be our second string Mike." So it's funny, like, how surreal it is today. Like, this dude was coaching me. And now he's my boss. So, again, it all comes back to relationships.
0: Full circle. Oh, man. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. So, okay, while you're at UF, what was your thought process behind being a sports management major? Was it just... Mm-hmm. Hey,
1: easy or was it like yeah. a certain goal behind it? So I knew I wanted to work in sports. I kind of knew I wanted to coach, like it was in the back of my mind, but everybody's like, hey, don't coach. It's too hard. Like you're never going to see your family. Like you got to deal with kids all day. Your job relies on an 18 year old to fill his A gap. Like don't coach. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be a sports agent. I'm going to go be a sports broadcaster. I'm going to do something in sports. So that was really my mindset. And kind of probably around the time when I met you is when I was thinking about being a sports agent. That was my first goal. Yeah, I remember that. We were talking. Yeah, about we, were talking it. About we were talking about, about it. About it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember did. that's probably why we connected, man, because I knew you wanted to be a sports agent. I did too. Yeah, like, I could buy with this dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's from South Florida. Yeah, and I came <laughs> talk in talking my shit. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You like, like, got a full I, sleeve. I I could buy with this dude. I probably saw you <laughs> hooping in Southwest.
0: exactly 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 (laughs) so all right so you always wanted to be in sports now talk about like um, that opportunity
1: because they didn't give you a full ride at some point yeah so uh, from that point so we get to our to the next season Mm -hmm. and I've I mean I've I've earned a lot of stripes yeah before you continue so you
0: walked on as a redshirt sophomore yeah so I had three years left to play that's dope
1: yeah. after a sophomore from D2, you fucked that yeah. in the game, bro. In my first year on the team as a walk-on, we were, not to brag, we were a top five defense in the nation statistically and on the field. So SEC East champs, Yeah. yeah. What do you want me to do about it? Hey, they don't know what they are. That's I'm, just what saying, they are. I'm just stating facts at this point. <laughs> they are what they
0: are. But that's crazy, bro. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? You weren't eating the meal plan the whole couple of years. Uh-huh. Like, you're straight in there. Like, that's yeah. impressive, bro. That's impressive. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I had to give you your, your, uh, your lick, eucalyptus plants. <laughs> you know, exactly. these are the roses. These are your eucalyptus plants. You know? yeah, I like that. I like the eucalyptus. That, that shows like, I love you sharing because like I said, you're not the end goal. Neither am I, but I mm-hmm. love sharing people who are on the same path. Like we're making it through and like, we're trying to show like, yo, if you're trying to work with greatness, this mm-hmm. is what it takes. You know, this is what mm-hmm. really, wh- what it really boils down to. Like how bad do you really want it? Because when you really want it, you're going to be able to work these, you've been working hours and hours and hours. You don't really feel it. Yeah. This is what you want. You don't even exactly. Like the sacrifices did nothing to you because this is mm-hmm. what I want. This is what During I During the day in the office, it feels like work.
1: Yeah, exactly. I might be hot or I might be mad at something. And I might, you know I mean? I might be tired, but it doesn't feel like work ever. Yeah, because- I'm living with purpose. Exactly.
0: And, and regardless of what opportunity, what you're doing, if your job was just to be a model every day, there's yeah. the modeling you would just hate. <laughs>
1: <You know laughs> exactly. I mean?
0: There'd be parts like, yo, I gotta wake up at 4.30 to go on a 12 hour
1: flight. Yeah, now, You, you make gonna... a sunrise shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't eat right now, cause I gotta yeah. look good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's there's things
0: that come with every part of, of whatever you want to do. Yeah. So I also hear, see here, you're a SEC academic honor roll. Can can we talk about that? Like, what what uh, what made you
1: value your grades? Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna come over here and act like I'm Mister Scholastica. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, sports 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 management wasn't rigorous. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, it was not a rigorous uh, program by any means. It was you learned a lot, and it was it was good for what I wanted to do in the future. But uh, man, I just I did my work. I wouldn't say I studied too much, but I applied myself when necessary. And uh, it wasn't an assignment that I left undone because I mean, that's, that's half the battle. You just got to show up, put your name on the paper and you'll get some sort of grade. So really, I mean, just coach Collins talks about it all the time. He's our head coach. He says, how you do anything is how you do everything. Like if I can't trust you off the field, like how can I trust you on the field?
0: With sports management, that was really like 30% of our grade was just, can you make that 930? You go 30 Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yeah. After you have after done what you've done the day before. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. So talk about how on, on the UF team you worked up from being to being a special teams player. And then talk about after that, what was it like the week of when you got your
1: start senior senior day? So I actually started before that. The bio was incorrect. It's not your oh, fault. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, That's so uh, my junior season, my redshirt junior season, I'm working my way up. So they bring in a bunch of scholarship kids who are two freshmen at linebacker. And I had just been the second string Mike last game of the season. I'm back to fourth string. So I had to work my way back up. That's the walk on life, you know, entitlement free. And I got to play on special teams. So first game of the year, I was starting on one special team. By the end of the season, I was starting on all four. So that was, I mean, that was a huge accomplishment for me. And then our bowl game, Jared Davis gets injured. And then who are they gonna call up? Young Christian Garcia. So after JD got hurt, I was, uh, I was able to start my first game, which was the Outback Bowl against the University of Iowa. We won 33. And I mean, that was, that was, the, that was my, my favorite moment as a Gator. It was just surreal. It was funny cause like I was D2 kid, no love in high school, no offers. After the game, I have cameras in my face. I'm wearing a hat. Like I just won the Super Bowl. I feel like my, uh, Michael with the, with the championship pick. And it was like, it was just surreal in that moment. Like Let's I just started go. a game. We won 30 to three. I'm about to get a ring. Like, so, uh, that was the first game I started. Then going into my senior season, uh, I became a big factor in terms of defense. I ran with the ones in the off season while David Reese was hurt. And then me and him ran back and forth with the ones. And then I was fortunate I played on every, every game on defense my senior year. And then I got to start the Missouri game. So I, I was playing better than whoever was in front of me. And uh, that day was not so memorable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's funny, man, because like you're on such a high, you've been playing so good, like you think so highly of yourself and like the game of football will humble you real quick, whether you're a coach or a player. Going to the game, I'm starting. I just, I beat out somebody for the starting job I had been playing, but I was feeling myself. I'm starting linebacker for the Florida Gators. We're about to go to Missouri and I got humbled real quick. I miss a tackle on the first series, goes about 20 yards, Miss a tackle on the second series, pops out again take me out of the game. So at that point, I have no confidence. Then a couple of series later, they're in the red zone. They put me in the game like cold, like it's probably like 30 degrees in Missouri. So I'm, I'm not stretched out. I'm already in my feelings because I've missed a few tackles. They pulled me out of the game and they check checked and ran a wheel route on me, scored a touchdown. So the game of football will humble you real quick. I won code, I won co-defensive player of the game against Kentucky when we beat him for the 31st time in a row. I was named a team captain, which my name's actually on the wall in the facility. So, as well as the other accomplishments, I'm a team captain, which is uh, the thing I'm most proud of. But uh, yeah, I got humbled real quick. I became the starter. I lost the starting job, and uh, yeah, that was that. But uh, it was still a blessing to be able to start that game and and live that memory. But I, I don't I don't like to think about it very often. So Kentucky was right the week right before Missouri. So just chronological order of the season. We played Michigan. I played on defense, started on special teams. We played Tennessee and then Bo Joseph goes out with cramps. So I end up playing like 40 something snaps, 50 something snaps against Tennessee and I play, I play well. So then the next week they make me a captain against Kentucky, Bo playing bad. And so they put me in and then we're rotating again. He gets a targeting. So next thing you know, I'm the dude again. And, uh, I played really well against Kentucky, won co-defensive player of the game. So that was game three of the season. And then became a rotational linebacker throughout the way until I finally earned the job against Missouri. How would you
0: have better suited your mindset to handle that Missouri week after Mm -hmm. all the success? And like, because this is a lot of personal achievement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. If you could go back now, knowing what you know, like how would you have better mentally prepared
1: I guess so there's like there's a lot of psychological aspect that goes into sport like performance anxiety and what people think of you because I mean you're you're on a national stage every week when you play for Florida so Twitter is roasting me like it's brutal like I can't imagine like Kevin Durant and LeBron James like man those dudes are they're mentally tough because that's that's difficult to deal with so as a 22 year old kid like the biggest thing that I would tell somebody going through those moments is like, you're not defined by how you play football. Like you're so much bigger than the game of football, like, and regardless of what people say. So to better prepare myself for that moment, like I would have been to tell myself that because at that point in my life, all I could think about was how did I play? What are people saying about me on Twitter? Am I getting love when I walk into Midtown? Like, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) it's so funny you think about these superficial things and like life and and yourself and your identity is so much bigger than that. Like, yes, I love playing football. I love coaching football, but my identity is rooted in things that are bigger than that. And that'd be my advice. Appreciate that. Yeah, cause that's
0: (laughs) real, man. That's real. Like as a young adult, you Mm -hmm. realize how how just superficial, like you said, that's the best way to put it. Like you, you really are unless someone has given you the wisdom in, or unless you've had the experiences, mm-hmm. you, you really don't realize that a lot of things that you worry about, myself included, you know, like mm-hmm. we are worrying about the things that really don't move the needle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, what we don't realize is a lot of us go there to party or just to get away when mm-hmm. we don't realize that that's the last four years that you have to really, or if you really take it serious, that could really set up and propel the next 40 years of your life. Exactly, no doubt. And and it's the seriousness you took being a walk-on that Mm -hmm. now you have a job out of it. (laughs) Absolutely. And now a full-time career, because you took that opportunity so seriously, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's now provided you a career path for the
1: rest of your life. it's funny. Cause that was like, that was a speech we did all the time. Like our coaches would be like, I remember like coach Rump, who's our D line coach, coach Collins, who's my boss now, like saying like what you're doing right now, like five years from now, if somebody calls me about you and wants to, jo- and like, they're trying to hire you, like, what am I going to say about you? Like when you walk through these halls and how you carry yourself, like, are you early? Are you late? Are you working hard? Are you slacking? Like those things matter for the future because at the end of the day, like, playing football at the University of Florida for most people is a three to five year decision. If You're playing the league, man, like it's not going to last long. So you really got to think about the end game. The people that you meet in college, like shoot, we met in one class and we're here doing a podcast like five years later, like who would have <laughs> ever thought? <laughs> exactly. So you really like, you can't break a first impression. Like it's, it's very hard. Like after you make a first impression, it's really hard to change somebody's mind. So Really, when you're going through life, you got to think about that. Like, when I meet this person or when I'm doing this, like, am I putting myself in a position where that person had to help me later in life? Would they? And then how do you treat the people who can't help you right now? Like, how do I treat the intern? How do I treat that kid that was sitting next to me in class? Like, he can't do anything for me right now. Like, and it's not like you have to treat them good because they might be able to help you in the future. But it's like, as a human being, like, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and really think about that kind of stuff. That's a that's a big
0: fact. How do you, how do you treat the people who can't help you? Says the most <laughs> mm-hmm. that really says the most. And that honestly, a lot of times dictates really the high, high achievers because I'm always a believer in that. That thing, like I said, karma, man. And like yeah, tells me like you treat, you treat that unknown person who can't do nothing as if they were of your, your stature. And, exactly. and, they won't bless you, but someone above you will come down and pick you up and take you to their stature.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, because at some point you couldn't do something for somebody and they helped you out. So mm-hmm. <laughs> who are you to not, not treat people with the same kind of respect. So exactly. I mean, it's definitely right. something I try to live by, whether it's karma or being a Christian or however you kind of do it. I mean, there's really a bunch of different, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to an end. So mm-hmm. a bunch of different ends to, I mean, I don't know, I'm not that smart. <laughs> yeah, ex- It's one of those
0: quotes, but yeah, it's something like that.
1: I I probably heard it the right way. Really recite it, yeah. Trying to be freaking Aristotle over here, but it ain't (laughs) working.
0: You know, you know. I always, always think it's funny. Like I was just listening to a a book. It was like it's called Moonwalking with Einstein, and Mm -hmm. his whole thing was like memory and like there. He's like a reporter who ended up looking into memory world champions and how they do Mm -hmm. it, and Moonwalking with Einstein. It's mm-hmm. that's how they do it. They make the things that they're trying to remember into like vivid and weird objects so mm-hmm. that that knowledge attaches to that weird, unique object. So like, interesting. yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he was saying how the people who have the best memories are really just they're the most creative and vivid on how they store that image or that thought or that number or that card it's how yeah. they created a system of images of like if you said memorize four seven nine five three that mm-hmm. person who's like a memory champ would be like oh that's ben franklin pole vaulting on a fire escape <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and uh-huh. it, it was uh it was just an interesting interesting take on you know Most like definitely that's kind of some yeah. of
1: the philosophies in coaching too we always got to have buzzwords because the more words that you use to describe a technique or a scheme the less the kids are going to understand it so they got to associate it with something that they'll remember so I mean that's that's one of the crucial things as well and something I believe in in, in coaching which is a different topic
0: yeah so now coaching right so mm-hmm. You've had a very productive time at University of Florida. Mm-hmm. How do you go now from University of Florida to Las Vegas?
1: Yep. So uh, after, so Coach Collins, who's the head coach at Georgia Tech, he was the defensive coordinator in 2016. He leaves to become the head coach at Temple. Randy Shannon, who was my linebacker coach, previous head coach at Miami, becomes the defensive coordinator, and Tim Skipper becomes the linebackers coach, which is now my new position coach. So I know that's a long-winded story, but it'll come into play here in a second. So Tim Skipper, after we're done playing, becomes the defensive coordinator at UNLV. I'm fresh out of playing, and I text every coach I know, hey, I'm looking for for a GA job. Within 10 minutes, he says, hey, I got a job for you. You're hired if you want it. So just like we were talking about earlier, the impression I made about being serious about my craft as a player, like he knew I could trust this dude, like, is he making the right decisions when he's not in the football facility? And when he is in the football facility, is he somebody that I would want to work with? So really what I did from Florida, it was, it was instantaneous. And then I wouldn't say I accepted it right away as a 23 year old kid again from Miami, like, man, am I really going to go move to Vegas? Like I'm going to get paid $800 a month to go work like a dog. Like, do I really want this? So again, there were the doubts, but, uh, I trusted Tim Skipper, who I call Skip. So, I mean, he, he's been an unbelievable mentor to me. He uh, I worked with him for two years at UNLV. So, he, he kind of got me started in the profession. I wouldn't be where I am without him. And uh, he gave me a lot of responsibility early because he trusted me, and I was able to cut my teeth in a great working environment. We didn't win a ton of games, but I learned a lot.
0: So, talk about that experience um, as a GA at UNLV. Are you taking classes? in and- yep. And are you doing like film work, like how you're doing at UF or did you have a different roles and responsibilities?
1: Yeah, so uh, as a GA, you got to take classes. You got to be in a minimum of six credits, which is what they deem full-time for a GA. And your responsibilities are really, so you break down the film. You don't actually have to film practice, but input all the data down in distance, offensive formations, the plays that they're running and our defense and all those kinds of things. You make the scouting reports the hit charts, you really do all the nitty gritty stuff, so everybody else can get the glory. <laughs> so really, I mean, like, it's crazy, like, as a player, everything is done for you. Like, somebody hands you a playbook, somebody teaches you the plays, somebody puts your meal on your plate, like, and you go from that to being a GA, where now you do everything for everyone and you get no shine. So it's it was an unbelievably humbling experience, but, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world, like you're you're stuffing playbook binders for kids and half of them are ungrateful about it. They're gonna throw it away and it's gonna get ripped up and torn up. But I mean, for the the 20% that you get to impact, it's all worth it. So
0: what was the most satisfying part of that UNLV experience?
1: Mm -hmm. So again, like it's cliche, but man, it's relationships. Like I got into coaching because there were coaches who invested in me And they made me who I am today, at least a part of who I am today. And it's like, there are dudes that I still talk to. Like I was a GA. I wasn't their full-time position coach, but like, I, I mean, I I love these dudes as human beings. Like I want to see them be successful in life. So we have a, we had a linebacker. He's currently with the Las Vegas Raiders. So, I mean, that was an unbelievable moment when he got signed and he had a TFL against the dolphins last year. I hit him up that night. So that was an unbelievable moment. UNLV hadn't had somebody drafted in like, I don't know. It was like seven years. He didn't end up getting drafted, but he, he made the team. So that's my dude right there. Like from where he was as a human being and a football player before I got there. And it's not because of me, there was a ton of people that were there. I wasn't his position coach full time, but to where he is now and see that growth as a man is like, that's, that's the satisfying part about the profession. It's not the wins, the losses. It's not, it's not the money. That's not why you do it. And I could just, I mean, I could battle off a bunch of players and, and memories right now that'll, just spark
0: back those same motions. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. dope though. Like yeah. the fact that it was from your position though, that mm-hmm. you're focusing on, that's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like exactly. I can put that on my resume. That's resume, <laughs> you Can that your resume. That counts, right? That no, no counts. Doubt. Yeah, that's a point on the board, that's a point uh-huh. on the board. That was my linebacker, I coached
1: that dude.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I was a part of coaching that dude. That's it, that's exactly. it. That's, that's That's all it takes. What, language and copy so is so critical to success a lot of times because yep. it, it's it's how you phrase something has a really big impact on what you're actually trying to convey <laughs> you know it takes a village man yeah yeah so I was a part of it and I was a part of that village exactly so, so now you at UNLV and I mean if you pay attention to college football that's not a mm. that's a not a traditional football powerhouse Mm-mm. And, and, and now you have the ability to skedaddle out that, what was that, the Big West? I mean, the Mountain West? Yeah, Mountain West Conference, yeah. The Mountain West, now you have a chance, the Big West. Now you have a chance to go <laughs> through the ACC, Power of yep. Five. How did that come about? Was that just once again, relationships?
1: Yep, and I guess you could call it failing forward. <laughs> so <laughs> we, went, we went four and eight and then four and eight again. Our head coach was fired after my second season. So my position coach, Tim Skipper, was fired as well. So I think we got fired in uh, November. So by November, I knew I'm like, man, I got to find a job. I'm not going to stick around and see if the new guy wants to keep me as a GA because that's that's not a fruitful experience when you're the holdover from a previous staff. Because Oh, man, you guys did this bad. You did this bad. So I really do not want to live through that. <laughs> so I text Coach Collins, who – three years removed from being uh, my defensive coordinator, became the head coach at Georgia tech. And I text him, Hey coach, we just got let go. I would really appreciate if you look out for me, if you have something or if you hear something within five minutes, he's out on the road recruiting. He's busy. He's an ACC head coach. He goes, send me your resume. Uh, I think maybe another 10 minutes later, he's like, our DFO Scott wall should be texting you pretty soon. And then I think two days later, he texts me. It's like, 3 a.m. Vegas time, like, I guess it's like 5 a.m. East Coast time, and he goes, congratulations, you got got a job, you're going to be here January 5th, staff meeting 2 p.m. All within three texts. I didn't have to interview, I didn't have to talk to him on the phone, I didn't have to, none of that. Like we said, like, your first impression, that's powerful. What you do when you think nobody's watching, when you don't think that person's ever going to do something for you, like, this dude just gave me a coaching opportunity at the power five level. I just got fired. I mean, obviously I didn't have as much to do with it as a GA, but really like just comes back to making those impressions. Like this dude just offered me a job. I didn't even talk to him on the phone. He's the head coach at a power five institution. <laughs> I'm letting everyone get like, let that sink in for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and,
0: and that's why I, I'm so glad of like you sharing your your story, man, because it shows the power of so many good days in a row. You know, when mm-hmm. you're able to day by day and it just shows when you're truly committed to your vision, shit just works out for you. Yeah. <laughs> it just works out for you, man. It's no just doubt. like, I always think like for me, like I graduated UF with a 2.9 and,
1: yeah. I,
0: and I got a full ride graduate assistantship to Florida State. That's impressive, man! Congrats! I
1: didn't even know that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to acknowledge that you were seminal. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't by. It wasn't by like, yo. I'm just trying to be funny, but it was just like, yeah. Offer me a full ride, and mm-hmm. I had. I, I got accepted to Clemson, uh, Alabama, uh, LSU, mm-hmm. and I didn't even apply to UF because uh, I did want to experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like traveling. And like we like we know, sports and entertainment, you need a vast network. So I'm like, yeah. I have a pretty good network at UF. Let me somewhere else. And yeah, I had an under 2.9. Um, I had an under 3.0 GPA, but I had good experiences mm-hmm. and I did a lot of just talking, you know, like I yeah. would go, I would call the admissions department at LSU. I would just call this lady, I forget her name, but she was so nice, she's like just hold on let me let me see if i can work out something something out for you and like she ended up helping me get like a job as like the head one of the head intern managers for Mm. boosters club at lsu big time bro you know what i'm saying now that was huge like no doubt like you said no real interview just like yo that's there for you just because of we just caught a vibe like that
1: yeah exactly you would have never known if you were trying to catch that vibe. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: And at at FSU, it's like, I only found out about this because of assistantships, because this kid I graduated with, Kevin Flanagan, Uh he was doing it at my internship when I was in Colorado. And he told me about it. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know if this was a thing. Yeah. And, And literally because of him, I was like, I called FSU. I was like, yo, do you have that? graduate assistant spot I'm really interested in it because he's telling me it's like you teaching courses I was like oh that's that's layup and yeah. through through him and and through that me just reaching out and like you said we got to be an overachiever you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. you don't yeah. got act like you got it that's exactly like these I've gotten from your message bro you always <laughs> acted like this is for me like yeah absolutely be a part of this like you mm-hmm. said it's, it's not even being delusional it's just you act like the things that you want to attract, you know? Mm-hmm. You acted like a D1 football player, so you attracted a D1 opportunity. You, yeah. acted, <laughs> you mm-hmm. acted like I'm a coach and I'm going to, and you attracted I'm a coach yeah. and I'm in for this,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. so that, I mean, you're really just a product of your, your thoughts and your behaviors. Like what you think of yourself is what you are. Like it's that classic little picture. I mean, you might've seen it on Twitter or something like that. It's like a little kitten, and he's looking in a mirror, and in the reflection, he sees like a lion or a tiger. Like that vision you have for yourself, like really, that's who you are. Like regardless of what people tell you, so at some point, you keep seeing a tiger. Hey, you might become a tiger, regardless of what you are. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I call it delusional. I call it. I mean, I don't. I don't know what I call it, but you got to have a little bit of that. Yeah, you want to do something special.
0: And you have the and you have the ability to also have tunnel vision and mm-hmm. not compare yourself to anyone else's journey. Like, this yep. is my journey. This mm-hmm. is Chris Busty's journey from D2 to D1. Like, this is how I'm going to do it. Like, because if mm-hmm. you look this way, you look that way, you're going to get disappointed or you're going to get frustrated.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a slippery slope, man. Like, you mm-hmm. really got to run your own race because it's it's so easy to compare. Like, man, this dude got a D1 scholarship and I didn't. Mm-hmm. This dude's playing and I'm not. This dude's. Uh, power five position coach at 28 and i'm not like mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be a tough journey if you're going to live like that so you really just like you said you got to run your race and just focus on stacking days because eventually the product of stacking those days is going to be fulfilling your vision and honestly
0: and if that same person has done that where they comparison and like yo he's d1 i'm not d1 they also need to pay attention and realize that a lot of that stuff is because I can, that person was able to make a phone text, a phone, a phone text, <laughs> a phone call, a phone yeah. call or a text to the person who's determining who gets that opportunity and is like, yo, I want it. And mm-hmm. because that person has seen the other person with so many good days or they know what they stand, stand for or stand on, that's why they got it. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I realized, especially with me, because um, a lot of times, and I hear more and more as I you know, hear other people's stories that I always thought it was just work hard and be the best, most skilled, most, yeah. most, most deadliest, have the most tools in your toolkit, you know? And I didn't realize that relationships is the biggest tool you can ever have.
1: Yeah, know? exactly. That's the,
0: that's the biggest and best tool you can ever have in this day and age, you know? Because yeah. one myth I, I recently also uncovered is that it was never based on the best of the best, <laughs> you know, yeah. from the day America was born, it was never about who's the best, who brings the most to the table, you know, yeah. are you adequate? And do you have a relationship with that person? They know that you're adequate. Yeah. Who do you know? <laughs> How would you describe your coaching style? Like mm-hmm. what, what do you think is going to be the separator that makes you yeah. be a coach that in five, 10, three years that, be like, oh, damn. Okay, what do you think yeah. is, is going to separate you from from the rest? It's a great
1: question. So to start off with, I think like we talked about earlier, the first thing you got to do is you got to be an elite relationship builder, and uh, that comes with love. Like your first job as a coach is to love your players. You don't have to like them. There's going to be qualities you don't like about them, but if you love them, then you'll you'll be able to get over that. And like I said it again earlier, like they don't care how much you know till so they know how much you care. So once you've gotten to the point where they know how much you care that's when you can really coach them hard. Like that's when you can get into them and push their buttons and say, hey, you're, you're not doing this right. You're slacking, like like you're really, I mean, like you're not living up to the standard, which I think you can be. And when they know that you care about them as a man and not just how they perform on the football field, like it means something to them. And it's it's been an unbelievable experience here at Georgia Tech because Coach Collins demands a lot of the players. So as position coaches and as the GAs, we got to demand the same thing that he wants. So we deal with the players a lot, whether they're getting bad grades or missing tutoring or showing up late to a workout. And like they're dealing with stuff off the football field that you might've never known about. This did, this dude shows up 10 minutes late to a workout and the first instinct for coaches, Hey, I'm going to get into this dude, man. I'm going to, I'm going to let him know how mad I am. But like, who knows, he could have been up last night and something's going on with his family. So I think once you get to that point where you love your players, you know, your players, they know that you care about them. You can coach them hard. And then at the same time, always invest in them outside of football. And then when it comes to the football part, that's, that's easy. Like I'm going to have really high standards. I'm not going to relent from my standards. So I want everybody in my room to be the best. We're going to be there 10 minutes early into the meeting room. We're going to outwork every position group. Our mentality is going to be the best position group in the country. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a yeller, I'm going to, but you also got to learn your learner. Like there are some dudes who they want their buttons pushed. You might have to yell at them. And there's some dudes, if you yell at them, you got to shut down. So you don't treat everybody equal. You treat everybody fairly. That makes sense. So at the end of the day, like some dude might, he might go ball out if you, if you get into him real good. Some other dude, like he's going to go tank it on the bench. So that's another process too. You got to have great emotional intelligence. Like that's that's an underrated skill in most professions, and especially coaching. Like you got to realize, hey, my Mike linebacker, if I tell him something this way or I teach him something this way, it's not working. So you got to adapt. And uh, how I said earlier, don't treat everybody equal, treat everybody fairly. A lot of times, there's a first year guy and he might mess up, or there's a third year guy and he might mess up. The way you treat them is different because there's been an amount of sweat equity that somebody poured into it, or somebody's earned a certain amount of respect. So the dude who's been here four years and never shown up late, and he shows up late for the first time senior year, are you going to treat him the same way you treat the freshman? So to me, the end of the day, first thing you got to do, build a relationship, love your players, demand high standards and invest in their lives and the rest will take care of itself. Like the football stuff's easy, the X's and O's, the techniques, like that comes natural to me. Because
0: ideally you want to be a league coach,
1: uh i really just want to be the best at the highest level so regardless if that's at the league if that's in the SEC if that's i mean if i'm if I'm coaching FCS it don't matter you know what i mean i just want to be the best at the highest level that i can
0: so ideally what do you, are you trying to be a coordinator or a head coach or what or are you trying to go front office like what what yeah do you
1: think- so right now the dream is to be a like an elite dc like i want to be the best defensive coordinator in the country like Lead the nation in sacks, points per game, like be known for coordinating a great defense. Mm-hmm. And if that parlays me to a head coaching job, that you know what I mean, that I want, that's a good situation. Yeah. Then I would yeah. take it, but I'm not. I'm not like so focused on being a head coach. I don't want to skip the step of being yeah. a lead at the, the little things first. And obviously, yeah. that's being a position coach before a coordinator. But the, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, so like Rob Osala vibes. Exactly. Every time I hear somebody talk, I'm trying to learn. That's just, <laughs> that's the type of dude I am. I'm curious. It's like the defensive coordinator's game planning in his office alone, and I'm bugging him. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in here and see your process. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, like, you can learn from everything. It doesn't have to be a book, it doesn't have to be a podcast. Like, it could be seeing how somebody treated somebody at the grocery store. Like, you have those opportunities to grow and learn every single moment in life. So I think that's crucial.
0: Exactly. And you can learn just as much what not to do as, what to do, because yeah. like you said, you're in situations where you can't learn what to do, but mm-hmm. always learn what not to do.
1: Yeah, you know that's half of being a GA right there. <laughs> I wouldn't do it this way, I wouldn't do it that way. It's, it's, it's easy to pick on the coaches when you're when you're sitting in the back seat. It's not an easy
0: job for them. That's a fact, right? The backup quarterback's always the best position to be. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> no
1: doubt, I ain't gotta
0: take the blame. Yeah, exactly, so I wanna also, figure out from you what books podcasts Mm -hmm. do you listen to or read that has helped you on your journey to self-development or maybe strategy maybe a little bit of both because yeah i like hearing people's um books ideas book ideas and and podcast ideas because just because i make this this isn't one of those shows that you can't talk about other stuff, you know, because yeah. my, mine is about information and mm-hmm. and, um, and sharing. This is the yeah. whole premise of this It's just mm-hmm. you can come here and learn something. And ideally, I want you to share it with someone,
1: you know, yeah, so this exactly.
0: is some and podcasts that you have found fruitful
1: to mm-hmm. being the that you are. So I'd be I'd be lying if I would say I'm a big reader. Okay. <laughs> I got a lot of strengths, but.
0: I'm not a reader for the for I'm not a reader. I'm a listener. Yeah.
1: Audible,
0: Audible and podcasts and YouTube mm-hmm. videos. Yeah. I go in. I go in. And there's books on YouTube for free that I do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, mm-hmm. so full full disclosure. So I'm not I actually
1: a- on a car ride. I listen to The Alchemist, which is I mean that's more of a fictional book, but it it kind of goes back to having that vision and being so driven by right. your purpose and that vision that you create something for yourself. So The Alchemist was a good read. I got halfway through Atomic Habits. I finished. I, I couldn't finish. I got halfway through uh, How to Influence People and Win Friends. Didn't finish. So I'm really more of a podcast, dude, man. It's tough for me to stick through a book. But mm-hmm. podcast, it's a lot of uh, career development. So if you're a football coach, make defense great again. A lot of good speakers on there. And then the coaching coordinator podcast. And it's crazy because like, it's a bunch of big name people that you would never expect to give their secrets. And they're completely open. Like you would never expect it. Like, like big time head coaches, big time defensive coordinators talking to you about their scheme, like how they're game planning offenses. And they're just, they're open book. And it's unbelievable because like somebody was an open book with them and now they're an open book. And when I get into the into a position where I've established myself and people care what I have to say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same because I wouldn't be where I am without listening to those deals. And then anything leadership, John Gordon does a lot of good stuff and obviously motivational. We had Inky Johnson come talk to us the other day and Eric Thomas. So, I mean, those dudes, they get a lot of publicity because they're, they're the hype guys on YouTube and social media, but they really have a bunch of great content if you're looking for more motivational and leadership. Ooh. So how was that experience up close? Was So it like- Inky – Inky's unbelievable man like that dude he walks it like he talks it like and it's funny because we actually got him one of our uh, quality controls on defense was his teammate at Tennessee so he did it for free and he he usually goes I think he's upward he's close to 100 grand when he speaks and when he speaks like you feel his soul like like he's like touching your heart when he speaks so I don't know if anybody's heard inky but that that dude's got stuff to say he's got an unbelievable story and and he's, he's just so giving about it too, like how, how we say it's like relationships and giving back and that good karma. Like he really lives that and he's, he's as most driven and spiritual and, and good of a person as, as you can imagine.
0: Fun fact. I actually seen him on a podcast episode, big bank. I told a couple of podcast episodes <laughs> you since you brought him up, he's the only person I've heard besides me get turned down for a job because they said he was overqualified and wow. that's because he left from Tennessee as a defensive backs assistant coach,
1: uh-huh.
0: maybe I think a role similar to yours, to yeah. become a uh, coach at like a YMCA, and uh-huh. he was overqualified, and he's like, yeah, saying like help him play.
1: <laughs> gotcha. You know, I didn't know that was a thing until today. So yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, exactly, right. But the more you know, so I want to go back to that coaching thing. Since you are a, a defensive core, uh, not defensive coordinator. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: as <laughs> a coach. Yeah, your defensive coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what? Give me one gem that you got from that those coaching podcast. You like, mm-hmm. damn, I'm stealing that.
1: Yeah. So uh, Don Brown, who was the defensive coordinator at Michigan, he's one of the highest paid defensive coordinators in the country. He had, I think, the number one third down defense three years in a row. He's now at the University of Arizona. Okay, I might so, say a
0: left.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's not there anymore. But, I mean, he he went into the whole structure of his defense and his philosophy and why he does what he does. He's, he's an aggressive defensive coordinator. He's going to bring five-man pressures. He's going to bring trap pressures. And I know that might be Chinese to some people, but <laughs> – he was, he was open about it. He talked about his philosophy. And the best part, too, was he was vulnerable. Like, he knows just because it's the way he does it doesn't mean it's the way that everybody has to do it. Like, he knows his defense has weaknesses, but it has strengths. And he's able to, to live with that. And he, he trusts his gut. And he was – I learned scheme, but I also learned, like, just be who you are. Like, at the end of the day, the decision you make, it's going to have weaknesses. It's going to have strengths. But if you live and die by it and you believe in it and you – you pour your heart into it, then you might end up with some success.
0: How has your wife and longtime girlfriend mm-hmm. been so supportive and understanding, and, and key in your journey of being a being a coach and pursuing your dreams and your goals?
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So it would even be hard for words to describe like the impact she's had on me. So I, I mean, I can't even. I think it's really important to find somebody in your life who who encourages you and and impacts you to do do you really like they gotta have that same self belief and they I mean she's made a ton of sacrifices for me to be able to do what I do like to be a coach's wife and then I mean I haven't been a coach my whole the whole time I've known her but like to say hey I'm gonna get up and move with you and I believe in you and then hey we're moving over here to Atlanta now I'm moving across the country yeah I believe in you and I'm gonna support you like and I just knew that from the jump. Like, regardless of where I was in my life, like, she was the same person. So, really, I would be remiss to say that I am where I am without her. I mean, it's it's truly a blessing to have her in my life. And
0: how did you know she was your person? Like, was mm-hmm. it a date? Was it a characteristic? Like, how did you know this is my
1: person? Yeah. I guess it's kind of like you have that vibe with someone and you're like, you could talk to them for, like, five hours straight and not look at a phone and not look at the time and you're like, damn, five hours just passed and we were laughing and talking and vibing for that long. So like, if you can do that on a consistent basis and not like, not second guess yourself. And I mean, you just know when you know, so. And really in a society where people like, they make you think you have decisions. Like you you can see the IG model and you'd be like, man, I could do that or I could do that. Like, that's not real life, that's not fulfillment. So you just know when you know. What
0: would you tell a student athlete fresh off their playing career, male or female. And now they're trying to figure out how do they transition from, I'm a student athlete, I'm getting fed, I'm getting scholarships. Now I have to figure it out for myself in the real world. Like, What would your advice be to a person in that situation?
1: My biggest advice is the superficial things that you felt as a student athlete, like that's not real life. Like you're not always going to be treated like you're above people and you're not going to be always fed meals and you're not always going to be praised. So I think you just got to live with the fact that like that was in the past and it's tough because there's a lot of like mental anguish that goes into athletes that don't play anymore. Like once the sport is over, it's it's tough. So uh, really you just got to find what you're purposeful about and know that you I've said it before, but your identity isn't rooted in, in the game that you play. It's rooted in something else. And whether that's faith, whether it's a new job, it's a new passion, or it's karma, whatever it is for you, you got to figure out what your, what your identity is and what you want to stand on and what are your morals and your values, because sports are temporary. And it's, I mean, there's so many bigger things going on in life. Like this year, we got hit with a pandemic. Like we, we saw tons of change in terms of social justice and there's still so much more to go. So really like sports is just, it's just a spoke in the wheel. Like the wheel is much bigger than the spoke. So really that mean my biggest advice for an athlete going into the real world. Like just realize that that was part of your life and it was a great part of your life, but there's so much more for you out there outside of the sport.